on our 50th episode of Goat Gab, Cameron and I are joined by Margaret Chamas, a Kansas City area dairy goat breeder that has found a unique way to support her goat habit through her Goats on the Go business. Join us and learn more about this ecologically friendly solution for a weedy problem. Welcome, Goat Gabbers, to another exciting rendition of Goat Gab. As always, I'm Cameron, and I'm in the flesh today with Laura. I'm so excited that I actually get to see him today as we record. So, as always, I'm the co-host, Laura, and today we are also joined, but unfortunately not in the flesh, by our very special guest this week, Margaret Chalmers. So, Margaret, you want to introduce yourself and tell our listeners about you? Sure. So again, my name's Margaret. I, I'm in ADGA under the Storm Dancer um, herd name. And although that's my second herd name, growing up, it was Leaf Dancer Farm after uh, kind of what goats do if you put a bunch of, say, maple leaves over their heads. We, as kids, we thought that was the funniest thing. And so that became our farm name. We're now Storm Dancer because when my husband and I moved to our property, um, we wanted, well, I thought about tying in the old Leaf Dancer thing. And the first few months we were on our farm, we had nothing but torrential rainstorms, floods. And so my husband jokingly said that we should call it Storm Dancer and that just stuck. We have I love it. Ober Hosleys, we have Obers, um, Grades and Experimentals, and some Alpines, just, just fairly recently on the Alpines. Very cool. And so tell a little bit about um, when you were a leaf dancer, like uh, where you lived and kind of some things about your history with dairy goats. So yeah, the whole goat history, and that leads into kind of why I guess I was invited to the show. So um, my little sister and I, well, we, we grew up in a town of say like 20,000 people. Um, my parents have no ag background, but my little sister and I got to go to a teaching farm and we fell in love with the goats they had there because goats are the most engaging of all the farm critters. And we just kind of decided we wanted to be farmers and we loved goats. And my parents were like, okay, whatever. Um, we have no idea what this is, but sure. They signed us up for 4-H. They had no idea anything about farming, but at least knew to, to get us into 4-H. And we just kind of took off from there. Um, the first several years we were involved, we borrowed other people's animals because we were in, you know, we had an eighth of an acre lot in the city. Um, and after a few years, when it was clear that we really were into this, my parents actually up and moved about 15, 20 miles away so that we could have a small acreage and have dairy goats of our own. So I had Obers, my sister had Nubians, and we bred and showed goats for years um, at our local county fair. We did the youth stuff at nationals once. I mean, we just kind of, we just thoroughly enjoyed it. And 4-H kind of set the course for, for both of us. I ended up going to college for animal science, um, had to get out of goats for a while while I was in college and grad school. Although I always skipped the first two days of college to go back for my county fair uh, 4-H show, which was always like the second day of classes. And so it was fun just emailing my teachers, by the way, I won't be there. Um, Fast forward a few years, I go to college and grad school for animal science. I focused more on cattle at the time, but kind of still had that goat thing in the back of my head. Um, got married, moved to the Kansas City, Missouri area, and convinced my husband to get an acreage and said, oh, okay, I'm going to get a few goats just for nostalgia's sake, but mostly I'm focusing on cows. Um, that didn't last very long. And so we went from having, you know, two Ober kids in the backyard 
now I've got about two dozen dairy goats and about two or about 150, 175 um, brush goats. And that's kind of where, uh, where the, the interest I think came in for this podcast episode. You want me to run right into that? Okay. Yeah. Let's just roll right into the brush goats because I have no clue what a brush goat is. And I want to know, cause I already like you already. Cause I like <laughs> your vibe. We're going to kill it. <laughs> All right. So um, I, I call them brush goats, but they're, they're meat goats. Um, but their, their job is to eat brush and weeds. And so this is obviously a thing that I think everybody who has goats know that they do. Um, but I'm one of a number of farm businesses that employ that brush eating tendency on a on a business scale. So I have herds of goats that I essentially rent out and we provide brush clearing and weed management as a service to people in the area. So I've got groups, I've got right now three groups of about 40 goats each um, who are at various places around the Kansas City metro cleaning up brush and weeds. Um, I went to, uh, my goats are very spoiled. Um, they get to eat at an unlimited buffet every day, all summer, and I just chauffeur them around and build them fence. Um, they are the happiest employees on the planet. They get to, you know, stuff their faces, and I, I have to do all the hard work. Yeah, they, they are the most, I mean, they are truly the happiest critters around. Um, and it's it's such a cool business to be in because unlike pretty much any other customer service role, people are genuinely happy to see me. Um and really, you know, if someone's going to pay to have goats come and clear their property, it's because they want the goats there generally as much as they want the property cleared. So it's it's very positive. It's a lot of fun. Um, but it is really beneficial in a larger sense. So right now, one of my herds is um, clearing up around a residential lake. These people have high-end homes on this sloped terraced area leading down to this this really neat little lake. Um, it's too steeply sloped for like a riding lawnmower. All these folks have like a half acre or more, so it's not really feasible to do with a weed whacker. And a lot of these folks are, I mean, they, they've been able to afford these homes because they've, you know, worked for many years and are now retired. So they're generally not of the age where they want to go do it either. They also don't want to spray chemicals because they don't want that to rush off into the lake. And so these folks are either hiring landscaping companies who tend to say, oh gosh, that was too hard. We're not going to come back ever again. And so they found the goats and were like, oh my gosh, this is the perfect solution because the goats love the slope, love the rocky terrain, eat all the stuff that they don't want, you know, and that they want, you know, the poison ivy and junk that they don't want their grandkids dealing with when they go down to fish or swim in the lake. And so it's really the perfect solution. And the whole neighborhood tends to get involved and come out and, you know, they have parties around the goats and stuff like that. It's, it's just a lot of fun. So not only is it ecologically sound to be cleaning up, it's really a, a happy thing for these people to say, Hey, come look at our goats. Yeah. When I've done, um, I'll do city backyards if if the city in question allows it. And those are sometimes the most fun. I mean, people will... So the average city backyard will take 24 hours or less with about 40 goats. And so people will just plunk the, the lawn chairs out and, you know, grill or grab a beer and just watch the goats work for, I mean, six to eight hours at a time. Like I, I drop the goats off, I come back later to check on them, and these people are still in the same spots just watching the goats work. 
That is hilarious. I love it. I have some so people who specifically. So I, I can't claim the original idea. I mean, again, most people who have goats realize that they like brush and weeds. And then even growing up, we had a local park that said like, hey, it'd be really cool if your goats came and grazed in the park. But they wanted us to like set up cattle panels and we had to take the goats home every night and we would have had to haul buckets of water by hand halfway across this park. So it was one of those like, yeah, the goats do this and it, it could be useful at scale, but not with the not with the limitations present at the time. So kind of improvements in electric netting has made this all possible. Now, taking it to kind of a business scale, um, my experience or, or where I got into it was a company called Goats on the Go. It started with um, two families in Ames, Iowa, who just kind of entrepreneurs who said, hey, let's let's see if we can make this work. And they had such success with their goats in their area that they were getting requests for, you know, projects that were hours and hundreds of miles away. And they said, well, we can't feasibly do that. So they started recruiting other people and started an affiliate network. So I, in a sense, it's kind of like a franchise. I own my local territory or franchise of goats on the go. Um, but I'm actually very free to manage the business how I want. I pay an affiliate fee every year. I have a few um, requirements, like I have to carry a certain level of insurance on the business and on the on the whole project. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not a subway. I don't have to offer this service at this price. I can handle a lot of that however I see fit. There's some affiliates who work with really small herds of goats on really small properties. There's some who focus on only larger properties. It's it's a really great network to be in. We're supportive of each other. There's always someone, you know, if, if, uh, if I say, hey, I've got this type of fence charger and it doesn't seem to be working, someone's going to help troubleshoot it. If, um, if I go to a new site and say, hey, there's this type of weed on this property, does anyone know if goats will eat it? You know, we've can all kind of crowdsource information on, on that. So while goats clearing brush is not a new thing, um, I got into it through goats on the go. And that's been, I'm really glad I did that because it made launching this business super simple, um, and set me up for success. Um, and it's just been really fun to work with those folks since we now, we're now in three countries and, you know, across the entire U.S., but actually in three countries overall. That is so cool. So it's really funny. You said that Ames, Iowa, and we had talked about that because I went to school at Iowa State about goats on the go. And people would always bring it up to me and be like, is this ever an opportunity for you? And I'm like, no, not really on the show side. But then a lot of their vet work actually goes through Iowa State. So my fiance has been dealt with a little bit of their goats as well there. Gotcha. Yeah, it is. It is an entirely separate enterprise from the dairy goats. And that gets that gets kind of challenging because I have such different management systems for the two herds of goats. Um, you know, I, I tease my dairy goats sometimes because they're they're refusing this nice alfalfa. I've just bought them and I'm like, you know, you could be in my grazing herd and you'd have to go work for your food. I wouldn't be, you know. <laughs> The, the working goats, I'm like, hey, you better eat that because you're not going to get moved to a new area until you finish all that junky stuff. And meanwhile, the dairy goats, it's like, oh, you didn't like that flake of hay here. Let me get you a different one. I mean, just completely different. And sometimes that makes it hard to like 
triage is this a problem well it would be a problem for the dairy goats but it's not a problem for the meat goats because you know they're just managed very differently so talk a little bit about the breeds that you have in your herd uh, on the on the um working goat side i assume yes yes so when i first started out i literally needed um mouths and so anything that was healthy and had four legs and an appetite, I would take it. And so while I started out with some, um, you know, some dairy crosses, or I I actually have a full Nubian, but she's, she's a hermaphrodite. Um, (laughs) She's actually really sweet, though. So we've kept her around and she's super tall. So she's I mean, she's great because she reaches all the hard to reach things. I've got, you know, a pygmy cross and some myotonic crosses. Most of my goats now are Borkiko crosses. so the the boars are your stereotypical meat goat. They pack on the pounds. Um, they they flesh out a little bit better and have that white with the red head marking that that drives a bit more price at the market. Um, but the Kikos are a little bit more hardy as a whole. You know, there's always exceptions, and I've I've owned many exceptions. The Kikos tend to be a bit more hardy, a bit. Um, more independent, which can be good or bad, and tend to have a bit more innate parasite resistance. So they do really well on these kind of more rangy situations. Um, I like the cross between the two because you get some of that hardiness from the Kiko, but you get some of that size and bulk from the boar. And so the the kids ha- do well going to market, um, but the does also do well, you know, producing kids year after year, even on the kind of rangy situations. So I have a lot of questions. I think we're going to skip what's happening on our farm because I think we're just going to dive right into this. Yeah. I got about a, a hundred questions to ask you here. Is that okay with you, Margaret? That is fine for me. Perfect. Because we always know that your goats are just on the go. So <laughs> you know, they don't really have, do they really have a farm? Let's start with that there. Yes, I do have a farm because during the winter, there's not green stuff to eat. So my, my working season is um, usually early May through late October it varies by year and just the weather patterns of that year. Um, but we've this is my fourth grazing season, so I'll start with that. I haven't been doing this forever and ever, um, but I've got a couple of years under my belt. Um, and so we generally start grazing right around May 1st. We generally wrap up mid to late October. Um, and so, yeah, come late October or early November, the goats are back home. I've got um, about 28 acres that used to be a hay field. Um, it's still pretty sad. I don't know if it was ever fertilized. And so having the goats on it is helping bring everything back. But, you know, they, they get to graze that leftover grass for a bit. And then they're in the barnyard eating hay. And oh, my goodness, November is one of the worst months because the goats have been out on summer brush. And they're used to all this like great stuff to eat. They get their new salad bar every day. And then I throw them in a lot and give them hay. And they're like, what the heck is this? Where is our good stuff? And so they, they're they climbing the fence, jumping, running away, trying to get the last bit of good stuff. November's a rough month because they're just like, forget you and your nasty hay. We want all that good stuff again. April is similar because like the babies are starting to get bouncy and the moms are like, hey, there's green grass over there. I want it. And so they're trying to get out of the fence because they see the new stuff coming up. But I'm like, no, not enough yet. Wait here. So, but uh, overall, over the winter, my workload goes down significantly. I can kind of just throw them hay and let them be. Um, so that's when I get to do some of my planning for the next year. Um, take a quote unquote vacation or whatever, whatever that is. Um, and try and <laughs> try and rest up a bit before the next grazing season hits. 
because once we're in the active season, it's is mo- seven days a week, you know, nonstop. So Margaret, is most of your um, working herd, are they females or males or do you have a, a balance of the two? I, I do a bit of everything and, and actually it's going to change a little bit and this will vary by affiliate. And that's part of the cool things. Like there, there are so many different business models and herd models across even just the, the people in my own network. Um, so again, I've done this the past few years kind of with the end goal of also producing market animals. So what happens is about March every year, babies are born on the farm. Those kids stay with their mom for a couple of months. At weaning, the babies either stay on the farm again or occasionally I'll send the ba- the weaned kids off to like very kind of low-key special projects. Um, but the moms go off to graze after they wean kids. And then the yearlings, so the kids from the year before, are the main grazing crew. So they are the ones that starting in May, they're out and working because they're they're effectively teenagers, right? So they, they want to hang out with their friends and they want to eat stuff. And so they make really good grazing crews. <laughs> And by that time, they've had that previous winter and early spring to kind of get trained on the electric fence. So I can usually send them out and they work really well on grazing projects. The mama does, after they wean those kids, they're really cool because they, you know, most of them have been with me a few years. So they know once they leave that farm and get on that bus or the trailer, I call it the bus, um, they're going to go somewhere and get to eat stuff. And they're just trying to pack those pounds on from having just weaned those kids. And so they are unstoppable. They eat a tremendous amount of, of brush and weeds. So my grazing herd every year is a combination of mature does. I've got some yearling does and then I've got my yearling weathers. Um, And actually, so in the past few years at the end of their yearling year, the weathers go off to market. Um, because I've got a new crop of incoming yearlings that'll that'll go graze the next year. I am one person trying to do most of this mostly on my own. I have a super supportive husband and I have a part-time employee, but um, I'm actually going to slow down the breeding side of things because it's, it's just one too many things to manage. My current group of yearling weathers is so phenomenal. Um, even if the fence is unelectrified for 12 to 24 hours, they tend not to challenge it. And hopefully I'm not jinxing myself by saying this, but they've been so well behaved. I'm thinking about just keeping them as a permanent grazing herd. You know, they're not, they're going to have minimal feed requirements over the winter because they're basically at maintenance. And so I don't have to spend the extra money on extra nice hay and grain. And with feed prices, that's a big deal. Um, but I might just keep them as permanent employees. There are other grazers I know who they buy dairy weathers you know they'll buy bottle kids or weaned dairy weathers because they're relatively cheap and they get tall so they make fantastic grazing goats because they can reach five six almost seven feet up so they clear a lot of stuff and they're cheap and easy to acquire and these folks just keep them permanently so they just they only have weathers as their grazing herd so people have asked me if if the girls are better than the boys or vice versa, and really no. I mean, they're they're goats. They like to eat. That so it's it's all about the individual animal. Does this animal stay in the fence, respect the fence, and do they herd nicely to get back on the trailer when they need to? And that's really my criteria. So when you think about your revenue streams and looking at the business side here, because I'm always interested how I can make a profit on my goats because currently they're running in the red. Um, uh. Most people say that. Yeah, most people say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's the so it's the weathers you sell, it's the grazing opportunities, and then you sell some babies as well off the farm. Is that correct in terms of your revenue streams? 
Yep. So I actually, my farm is an LLC. And so I've tried to do kind of the more diversified thing. So I've got the the goat grazing. I've got sales of market weathers. Yeah, I'll have some bottle kid sales. I'll have some some sales on the dairy side, you know, a few does, a few kids, um, and a little bit of milk. And then, um, you know, I do poultry and eggs and some beef and all that. Um, but the real, the, the main income stream is the grazing work. Um, selling the market weathers is profitable, or at least it is in this system. Um, but I honestly think if I can cut down on my feed bill, I'll actually be more profitable switching to just having the grazing stuff and not the weathers. I don't know. And it's, it's different every year. Um, but the grazing is really where the money comes in. So when somebody approaches you, Margaret, about like seeing about hiring your grazing herd, what kind of things do you consider? Because I'm sure that, you know, in the back of your mind, you have to think about, is this going to be a good fit? And then also, is this a safe, is this a safe situation for my goats? Right. So what normally happens is I'm mostly contacted through email. Um, because that's one of the, again, another plug for goats on the go for anyone considering this. Um, they have a website set up where someone can find me so easily. Even, f- you know, four years later, 95% of my inquiries come straight through their website, not my own website, not Facebook, not phone calls. It's through their website. So, yeah, someone emails me. And so the basic info that's collected is where are you ro- located, even roughly? Um do you have less than an acre? Do you have a couple acres? Do you have like 10 acres? You know, general size boundaries. And then you know, that's that's the minimum required. Um, so when I first contact someone back, I'm asking, okay, where specifically are you located? Tell me a little bit about your project. Um, you know, do you know what type of brush and weeds? Are you looking for goats to clean up your backyard or are you looking for brush clearing on your, you know, 10 acres of timber that you just bought and are trying to manage. So I try and get a sense of like, what is this, what are these person's goals? Um, what are they facing? Is it poison ivy in their yard or is it, um, bush honeysuckle that's, that's choking out the, the apple trees they planted or something. You know, I try and get a sense of the, the vegetation they're dealing with and at what scale. Um, I work with herds of around 40 goats, and that's usually the number I work with until we get to really big projects like 10 acres or more, because then I'll start combining herds to to work in massive units of up to 200 goats to clear like an acre a day rather than an acre a week. Um, and I do consider, lo- I obviously consider logistics. So officially, I own a territory that's within about an hour's drive of my house. Um and beyond that, it's for me, it's it's hard to justify the cost of, of all the, lo- you know, all the logistics. It, it adds to the cost that the customer sees. And so they're they're not always willing to pay that much because I, I go and check the goats pretty much every day or I'm paying an employee to do it. Um, so that adds up adding all that mileage. I mean, it's not uncommon for me to do over 4000 miles a month um, during the grazing season. And that's just in my car doing checks. That doesn't include actually hauling the animals around. Wow. That's so when someone contacts me, it is. Yeah. A lot of windshield time, a lot, a lot of audiobooks and podcasts. Um, so again, someone contacts me, I collect the basic info. I give them, you know, a, a very, I give them my generic ballpark price ranges. And then if they're still up for it, we schedule a site visit. And so I'll go to the property, um, I'll take a look and I'll make sure 
and that's when I do kind of the more the 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 more intense ground truthing. Okay, what types of vegetation are we dealing with? Is there anything I have to worry about the goats eating? Yeah, is it a safe situation for the goats? Do I have to worry about um the general public accessing it? Do I have to worry about coyotes or stray dogs accessing the site? Um is it feasible? You know, if I did a project I don't, and I don't know if I, I, it, I did it my first year and I don't know if I would do it anymore. The only way to access this site was I could get my trailer. It was probably about a quarter mile from where the goats actually had to be. So I had to build a quarter mile of, of a laneway basically to get the goats from the trailer to where they were grazing and then had to do it all in reverse when they were done. Um, that was a heck of a lot of work. The goats were, were not thrilled about the whole operation and I don't know if I would do that again. Walking goats a quarter mile is not terribly fun. Um, and so I, I look no, at things like, like those cat. logistics. <sighs> again, if you build, if you've got the goats trained and we set up, you know, a, a lane that they follow, the goats learn to follow that lane. But I didn't have enough fence to do the whole quarter mile in one go. So I had to set up like part of it pen the goats up in a little bubble that was, you know, maybe a, you know, one twentieth of an acre with a little bit of weeds, tear down all the old fence, rush up and build all the new fence before they finished eating everything in their little bubble, and then and then walk them the rest of the way to the trailer. Now that was a day I I dragged the husband along because I'm like I cannot do this on my own. Um, I didn't have like an <laughs> yeah. a, I didn't have a four wheeler or anything to carry the fence around with, so we were doing that all by hand. I mean it was. I've done some crazy things on some of these jobs and now a few years in, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I would do that again. It's not, not quite worth it. Margaret, do you have like a herding dog that can help you or? uh, I have a herding dog. He's not quite at the helpful stage yet. (laughs) The goal is to have him be helpful. (laughs) He comes with me on grazing projects and uh, the, He'll he'll get there one day, I think. I I have to find someone to help train him because he comes with me, and so he's kind of learning just what we do at a grazing site. But I, since I'm doing most of the goat loading by myself, I can't like hold on to a leash and manage where he is as well as chase goats around. So it's been hard to. A lot of people say, "Oh, just take the dog with you, and they'll pick it up." Well, it, it's hard to take him with me because I'm worried he's going to mess me up before <laughs> before he picks it up. Um, but one day, one day, hopefully, but at this point, the goats are pretty well trained. I mean, and people think it's great because I can just go to one end of the field and call the goats over. Usually when we're moving from one area to the other or leaving a property, you know, they finished whatever they're eating. And so they hear me calling and they're like, Hey, the food lady's here. Um, so they tend to just kind of come along on their own and load up generally pretty easily. They don't like getting on the trailer. It's a bit sardine-ish in here. Well, yeah, we all know that. Like, I mean, it's dinner time and you walk out of the barn or walk out to the barn and the goats are screaming at you. It's the, the same general principle. They they figure it out. They love routine. And so this this is our routine. All right. So I want to talk about the trailer because you mentioned the trailer. How big is the trailer? How many compartments? What's the max amount of goats you can get it? Is it double decked? What does it look <laughs> like? I want to know. So my basic trailer for everyday stuff is a 16 foot bumper pull. Um, And so like going to a show, going to a show, I'm like, I've got, you know, 15 or goats on this trailer. It seems kind of crowded. And then I go to, to my goat job and I'm like, there's still room. There's only 40 of you in there. Move over, scoot your butt up. (laughs) And again, just like 
straddling that line between the two worlds gets kind of hard sometimes because I'm like, I, I sometimes think that I'm like, ah, I, I'm going to a show and I'm going to bring 15 of my goats. They'll be fine on the trailer. And then I'm like, they're dairy goats though. There's I've got, they've got to make milk at the end of this. They don't need to just jump off and start eating. So it's, um, that gets tricky. So yeah, I have a basic 16 foot bumper pull. That's my, my daily driver. You could say, I do also have a slightly larger gooseneck that I use when I'm doing bigger groups. Um, I mentioned some of the projects where I'll have like 200 goats. I actually, um, hire out some of that hauling. Um, and then I'll, I'll bring in somebody who's got like a, you know, a giant double decker to haul 200 goats at a time. Loading those up is pretty fantastic. And the goats actually do pretty well with it. It's, um, I'm, I've, I was impressed with the goats just like hop right on and go up the ramp and there they are. All right. I got, I got more questions here for you. Um, water, how do you do water in those areas? And that depends. That's, that's a big, it depends. And that is one of the ones that affects the price a lot. Um, so right now my goats are around this residential lake. So they're drinking out of the lake. Um, whenever I can, I try and use an existing natural water source. So a Creek, a pond, um, that's, that's my favorite. Um, a large portion of the other jobs I do are, you know, it's, it's folks who have their, five acres of paradise they moved out of the city they've got this big lot now and they're discovering oh shoot this is a lot to manage um bring the goats in and clean it up (laughs) and so usually we're close enough to a house that i run a hose i own you know probably 500 feet of hose on a couple of reels and so i'll bring that along and, and just pipe water out to some tanks um i do have a couple of jobs and actually i'm so my, my one set of goats is lounging around the lake. My other set of goats, actually all my does, are grazing some really steep prairie um, up near the Iowa border. And there's no water on the entire site. So I actually have to haul water in and then load it into tanks and, or jugs and use my gator to take it out to the pasture that they're at. That one's an ordeal and that, that upped the price significantly because that's a heck of a lot of work. And it's goats. I mean, these goats are on prairie, so there's not a lot of trees. And so they're in full sunlight and it's still 90 degrees. And so they're going through an atrocious amount of water every day. Water management can be one of the big challenges. Um, But again, that's where, you know, if I if I just didn't want to deal with jobs that were that tricky logistics wise, I, you know, that would be my choice. I just could choose not to take them. In this case, it was worth it because it's it's actually. Yeah. Sorry. So, no, please fin- no, go ahead and finish your statement there. It was worth it. Okay. Yeah. This job was worth it. Cause it's actually, um, I'm pretty, I'm kind of proud of this. It was, I believe the first contract offered by the Missouri department of conservation. They wanted some of this prairie managed. It's a unique type of prairie that's only located in certain parts of Missouri and certain parts of Nebraska. Um, and it's, you know, like every type of prairie, it's being encroached on by brush and weeds and the rest because we don't have the bison moving through. We don't have the fires moving through like like used to happen naturally. Um, and this particular type of prairie is so steep that they can't get equipment up it. And it's hard to find enough people willing to walk up and down that with chainsaws or weed eaters. So they're trying and they don't want to spray it with chemicals because that'll kill all the native prairie plants. So we're, we're testing the use of goats to help manage some of these kind of invasive brush and weed species. And so far, I think it's going pretty well. So do you ever worry, you had mentioned like coyotes, 
do you keep like um, guardian dogs with your with your goats or um, you know, I don't know people use donkeys or llamas or different types of uh, predator control animals do you have to keep those with your animals I'm going to start this off with a giant knock on the wood desk here because I don't want to jinx myself. Um, I I don't. Um, I don't keep, I don't actually own any guardian dogs. I do have a guardian donkey. Um, And I've sent her out on a few grazing projects, but generally I don't for a couple of reasons. Um, For the most part, that electric fence is to keep the goats in and to keep other stuff out. Um, And we're working with decent numbers of goats with horns. I leave horns on my grazing herd. And they're bigger goats. I don't, I don't let little babies out on my grazing projects. And so it's never like an easy meal that a coyote could come and just pick one off. And so that seems to keep them at bay. Okay. We're also moving the goats fairly frequently every couple of days. And so it's not like you set up a farm and these cows or these animals are always in the field and the coyotes kind of get used to it and learn the routine and can just learn when they're unsuspecting and pick one off. Um, we never hit that because the goats are moved on fast enough. I don't even know if all the local coyote packs even realize I have had issues with stray dogs and even domestic dogs. If people don't keep them on leashes, um, people and dogs are my biggest threats. Frankly, it's not the mountain lions. It's not the coyotes. It's, it's the stray dogs and people. Well, I mean, that makes sense there. Uh, Lots of questions coming from that. And, you know, I was curious to see if, if you had any contracts with like Native Prairie Reservation or like Missouri uh, Department of Conservation or something like that. So that answers my question. That's awesome to see that from an ecological side. Um, but my next question here for you is what do you do with all the poop? If they don't I don't want do it anything there? with the poop. The poop, the poop stays where it is. So cool, okay. fun fact about goats. Um, research suggests that if a goat eats weed seeds... Um, it's pretty much completely digested. It won't pass through the, the, the GI system and come out the other end and be able to sprout in the manure. So actually with cows, some people will feed their cows clover seed because some of it will get passed through in the manure. And then you can basically reseed your pasture with the cows spreading manure. Um, to the best of our knowledge, that really doesn't happen with goats. So the goats are killing the weed seeds that they ingest, which is a benefit because I've had people ask me about like, well, okay, if your goats just came from invasive area number one, I don't want them spreading that stuff in my property. And I can tell them safely, no, we don't really need to worry about that. Um, You guys know goat berries are fairly innocuous. And again, we're moving the goats every few days. So it's not like we get that poop mountain or bedded, you know, a really stinky area where, where all the manure is gathered. It's, it's usually fairly spread out and I've never had anyone really complain about the goat poops being there. Um, even when we do like a stream side area and people are worried about manure running into the stream, goats don't like the water. They're generally bedding down uphill away from the water. And so most of the manure is somewhere up in the grass where it's not going to run off into the stream itself. Very cool. Yeah, that's that's really good to know there. Uh, Laura, do you have a question? Well, so Margaret, what – so I, I, I'm leading you into this question. Um, you were recently a television celebrity. <laughs> yes, and um, the weirdest part of that is it no longer really weirds me out to be on, on 
TV camera. That's never a place I thought I would be in my life, but here we are. And but really, uh, people part of that is because they actually really don't show much about me. It's mostly about the goats. So yeah, we did. Um, we actually just a few days ago wrapped up a grazing project at a public park in Lenexa, Kansas, and it was you know a social media and public sensation. People absolutely loved it. We did. Um, I had my bottle kids out to meet and greet with people at one of their festivals. The goats cleaned up about a two and a half acre streamside corridor that would have been a pain in the butt for the parks folks to manage. Um, and the city is actually looking at it as a, as a longer term vegetation management system. It was super positive and they, they called out the press. We had oh, one or two newspapers and I think three TV stations. Wow, that's 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 awesome. Um, yeah, we're we're just there's three of us here at the table, and we're just like, who this are we so talking? Cool. Yeah, we're like, who are we talking to? We're talking to like the goat, like the it's the grazing goat lady here of Kansas City, which is which is awesome here. Um, but knowing you're the grazing goat lady, what about fencing? Because I think this is where for people that do do pasture management for their dairy goat projects, what type do you use? And and you know what type is easy to set up and take down and then movable as well if they have multiple paddocks. Yep. And everyone's got personal preferences. I and most of the people in my network use Premier One netting. Um, shout out to them because I of the, the varieties I've used, theirs have been the best. Premier One netting, I use the, oh, it's the 35-inch one, I think. Um, it's lightweight. It's easy to tote around. I can carry four rolls at a time. Not easily, but I can do it if I need to. Um, it's pretty quick to set up and take down. You will cuss it tremendously when you're trying to go through the brush and it manages to catch on everything. But I mean, the stuff is pretty durable. It's strong. It's high quality and it's highly, it's pretty visible. So the goats, the goats learn to respect it quickly. And it's, it's just, great um this job would not be possible without this stuff at all and do you use a solar charger yes um when i'm at home when the goats are at home i tend to use a plug-in because then i just don't have to worry about so when the goats are at home it's usually over the winter um when we have shorter daylight cycles and so the the batteries aren't always able to recharge during the day but out on the jobs nope we're using solar powered fence chargers which lets us install anywhere we don't need to plug into anything. And it's it's part of that kind of eco-friendly narrative. You know, we're not, we're not drawing anything from the grid. We're just supplying it from the power of the sun. So, Margaret, a question on that about the whole eco-friendly thing. I'm sitting here, my mind's thinking about out west where they have such a horrible problem with fires and forest fires. I'm guessing that you must have some goats on the go affiliates out there out west and I'm wondering why that's not used more to help with brush control and things like that out West. I think it's used more than you might realize. Yes, we do have affiliates out that way. Um, there are actually huge companies um, that do goat grazing at a massive scale. We're talking, you know, semi loads of goats, couple hundred coming in oh, and okay. Right. So, so whereas I'm one person and I'll manage my herd of 40 goats and we might clear 20 acres a year. Um, these are, you know, massive herds of goats with multiple, you know, with a couple of herd managers basically following around that one group of goats doing entire neighborhoods or citywide, you know, 
protection areas um, in a matter of like a day or a week and then loading up onto a massive truck and then driving somewhere else. So it, it is being used. And I think it's certainly being used more often now because yeah, um, they do a really good job of taking away that, that fuel for the fire, all that, all those leaves and that the grass and that dry stuff that, you know, given the right seasons and conditions is going to be that fuel for the fire that then picks up and, and jumps into the trees. Um, our, our Colorado affiliate did a great presentation on the different like layers of fire fuel in, in a wildfire situation. And it's all about, you know, managing the, the available tinder essentially at different heights. And if you can keep away that like three to six or seven foot, um, uh, source of fuel aka all the brush and the weeds the goats like to eat that actually breaks the ability of a grass fire to jump up into the trees um so i mean the goats are one of the ideal tools for fire management a bit further a bit further west and they're cute and adorable and they can get at terrain that we can't so what's in your mind what is the craziest grazing story that you have Maybe it's somebody you worked with. Maybe it's a uh, crazy terrain. Maybe it's, you know, we already know you have cool PR projects, but what was the craziest one you've ever uh, had? Let's see. I should have been more prepared for this one. <laughs> <laughs> the most difficult is quite possibly the one I'm on now with the, with the water access issues, but that's one of the coolest because it's at such a scale. One of the ones I enjoyed the most was actually these these two ladies who had inherited their mom's house and, you know, their mom had gotten older and passed away. And so no one had maintained that yard in like a year or two or five or whatever. And and so they're like, well, you know, we don't want to deal with that. We, you know, they had their own health conditions to deal with. There was poison ivy and all sorts of mess. And so they had the goats come in and they were one of the the people, the goats were there 10 hours maybe and finished the whole thing. And they were out on those lawn chairs every all, but about five minutes of that 10 hours. And they were at, you know, what's that goat's name? Does that one have a name? Can we name that one? I mean, they just, they could not get enough of it. It was, it was hilarious and it was wonderful. They were such a delight to work with. And yeah, they basically just had like a miniature, you know, house party for the goats. <laughs> that's, that. that's so cute. I love that. Perfect. So when you're when you're looking at um, your working herd breeding program, you already said that you appreciate using the Kikos crossed in with the meat animals. What are some traits that maybe you um, cull out for or um, other things that you see that you're just like, yeah, this isn't going to work? My number one culling uh, criteria so far has been behavior. Um, and be I found that that's surprisingly and unfortunately genetic um so a goat that goes over or under the fence uh leaves the farm no matter what um and and i've learned to regret not letting them go as soon as like they get about one and a half strikes i'll let them go the first time thinking it might have been an accident they maybe got shoved into the fence got zapped and then panicked and bolted over it they get that first chance sometimes um but yeah i've sent beautiful purebred animals to the auction because they learned to go under the fence and then so did everybody else and now all of a sudden I've got 10 goats who are learning to escape instead of just one so behavior is the number one reason I want goats who 
they don't need to be petted. You know, they don't need to be like pocket friendly. Um, actually my bottle kids are some, if I have bottle kids, they're usually some of the most annoying goats in the pasture because they, they don't herd, you know, they don't move as a group. I can't drive them away from me, but I do want goats who are not spooky or panicky. I want a goat that I can approach without it bolting away and going crazy. And I want goats that are bribery trained. They need to know what a bucket of feed is just in case they do get out or in case I do have to tempt them to one corner of the field to, to you know, move them into another area or something like that. So behavior is my number one characteristic. Once I kind of got rid of all those wing nuts and loose cannons, I start to look for, you know, the does who can have kids or especially twins every year and maintain their body weight and regain enough weight to, to kid again next year and keep raising healthy kids while on this, you know, somewhat limited diet. You know, now during the growing season, they're on all this great brush and weeds and that stuff is highly nutritious. It's got high protein, a lot of vitamins and minerals, but it's very variable. You know, depending on what projects we get on, um, they might have, you know, some super lush, high protein whatever, you know, one type of brush or weed. And then we might go somewhere else where they're on, you know, more grassy stuff that's a bit more mature, lower quality. And so I need animals who can maintain their weight and condition and, you know, or or gain weight and gain body condition um, on that kind of scrubbier stuff. And so I start to look at that as a secondary um, selection characteristic. Um, I'm fortunate because there's... um, a really good Kiko breeder in my general area. And so I've gotten a few does and some bucks from him and I'm seeing, you know, those offspring tend to be doing better and better. Not that some of my boars aren't doing well. I've got, you know, another breeder I bought probably close to 30 goats from over the last few years. Her goats always behave well. They integrate well with the other animals. They just, they respect the fence just because it's there. They don't need to get zapped to learn that it's a fence. They just see that there's this barrier and they say, okay, I can't go past that. I mean, they're great behavior wise. And they, um, you know, she manages them a little bit hands off. She works nights. And so she's not always spending tons of time on them during the day. So they're, they're tough, they're pasture ready, but they still know what a feed bucket is. And, and they're, they've integrated very well. And she does kind of a boar Kiko cross. So hers are ones that I've, I've happily included and they're the same way, you know, they, they gain well on pasture, um, while still respecting the fence and all that stuff. And then they kid well, raise, you know, good babies, they're good mothers. And that's, that's kind of the, the foundation of my breeding and selection. Very cool. Yeah. That's awesome there. So, uh, are you like available on weekends? Are we like taking time away from your goat? grazing business here to record a podcast or like do you is it any time or like you just kind of set your own schedule with the goats or is your schedule driven by the goats my schedule is driven by the goats um so starting you know early may whenever the goats leave it, it, technically i'm on call 24 7 because that's happened a few times i've gotten those calls at you know midnight and the goats are out and they're on the highway um this year has been a lot better. I've finally gotten things, you know, again, I've got a fantastic crew of goats or three fantastic crews of goats out working. They behave well, but for a while, like every time my phone rang, I'd have a minor heart attack because I was worried it would be someone calling about the goats being out again. Um, you know, before I managed to call out all the the loose cannons. Um, 
but yeah, my, my schedule is largely determined by the goats, but that's partially because this is my job. Um, I no longer work off the farm, which I did at first. This is my job. And so this is, you know, these six months are where I make my income for the year. Aside from selling a couple gallons of milk and selling some dairy kids and, you know, a bit of eggs and, and chickens and turkeys and whatever, this is where my income comes. So I, I do try and make the most of it. Um, I did manage to, now this time of year, as the, the nights start to get darker a bit earlier, I'm trying to wrap up a bit earlier as well. I switched to milking once a day. My does are only milking in the morning and I've already dried a few off. Um, because now, you know, if I do have to stay out late and finish wrapping up a goat project, uh, or a grazing project, um, I don't have to worry about getting back to milk. I snuck away for a few um, shows this year, and oh my goodness, that was so hard because I had to, I had to make sure that all my herds were somewhere where it was easy for my husband or my employee to check on them. They weren't going to have to load them onto a trailer and move them somewhere else. Hopefully, they didn't have to build fence. You know, I'd, I'd have to do for every like two or three days I wanted to be away from the farm. I'd have to do at least two or three days of prep work beforehand. And then I'd have to catch up for one or two days afterwards. So it is not for the faint of heart because it is a lot of really long days and you're out no matter what the weather is. Cause the goats still got to get checked, whether it's, you know, 110 degrees or, you know, 50 degrees and pouring rain. Do you have a lot of repeat customers? Like if, if you bring your goats to a property and then, uh, three months later, it looks pretty rough again. Do they have you on a on a cycle that you come back through every once in a while? Some I do, um, and actually the uh, the residential lake I mentioned, where yeah, I'm on pretty much a twice a year rotation with them, once in spring and once in fall, and that's been working pretty well. Um, I do get some one-time customers, you know, they're willing to put in the the elbow grease to cut down the brush and beat it back and whatever. They just need the goats to come through and clean it up enough that they can see what they're doing and they're not going to get poison ivy all over themselves. Um, I get other folks who, they don't want to touch the brush. They don't want to do the work. Um, they're here to enjoy their property. They want the goats to do all that stuff. Um, and so we bring the goats back repeatedly to, to over time, just kind of beat that brush back, beat those weeds back and, and get it to the situation they they want and they don't want to lift a finger doing it so for them it's like oh great it's goat time again so you know they're they're happy to see you come back then yep i think i've had only like one or two customers who viewed the goats more as employees than as you know, dual purpose employees and, and, and fun. Um, and it was really kind of disconcerting because most people are, are, they're just, you know, they're excited about the goats as well as all the benefits the goats provide, you know, and I'm in this for both reasons. I, I do truly think that goats are a tremendous tool for vegetation management. Um, it's more than just the novelty of it for me, but I recognize that there's a lot of novelty to it and it is a lot of fun. And, you know, and, and I try and, I'm trying to make it as enjoyable as possible for people. And so when I've had people for whom the goats were literally just employees, um, it was almost kind of weird. Like I've, I felt almost like cold shouldered. I'm like, but don't you want to come see the goats? I, I think one guy didn't, I don't even know if he came to the property. It was another property he'd inherited and they were trying to get on the market. And so they just needed the goats to clean it up. And dear God, it was a goat project. It was super steep, super overgrown, terrible terrain um but it was fully chain linked fence and so we just dropped the goats off and there they went 
I don't even know if he stopped by. He mailed me a check afterwards, and I don't know if he ever even looked at the goats. I was like, are you okay? Wow. Weirdo. Why don't you love goats? As long as it clears the bank, you're good to go. Uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> right. So talking about checks here, can you, I guess, I don't want to know your pricing structure, but can you give me like a range or a ballpark of what it costs? Maybe per acre or per goat. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm curious to see how much money I'd have to shell out in order to get your goats on my hypothetical lawn in the lawn in the Kansas city, Missouri area. So, um, and again, this varies tremendously between individual affiliates in my own network and then across the country. So I, I know, um, like the, the company's doing tens of acres at a time with 500 goats. They're going to run a lot cheaper per acre than I'm running because, you know, it's, it's just totally different scales. Um, so I, I generally price by the acre. Um, and, and this is stuff I'll tell anyone who emails me. So you're not, you know, you're not asking for my trade secrets necessarily. Um, I generally price by the acre if the project okay. is over the size of a, a city backyard. Um, and so generally we're talking say a thousand dollars plus or minus per acre. Um, that can go way up if, there's no water if it's hard to access if it's you know crazy thick brush i have to bring a chainsaw to to get through um and that can go down if if i'm grazing a little part of your property that's mowed on all four sides and i just wrap a fence around and you've you know there's a pond right there that the goats can drink from so it's it there's a tremendous amount of variation but that take that as a starting point um and i think that's moderately representative of a starting point, you know, for, for most people in the goat grazing world at this point, that might change. And as feed prices go up, that and as gas prices go up, that's liable to change. Um, when I'm doing really small stuff, I do either a per day charge or I say, okay, it's this much for the first 24 hours. And then we add a bit if it takes them a second day instead of a first day. Um, my goal personally is that when someone contracts with me, they know what they're going to write a check for at the end of it. Or if it's a job that might take two days instead of one day or might take a day and a half, they know how I'm going to calculate the price. And I usually put a cap on it as well, because I cannot stand bringing contractors in and they say, okay, I think it's going to be you know $3,000 to do this job. And then you get a bill for 6000 I hate that. And so I don't want to do that to other people. Sometimes it does mean I lose money you know, because if it if it takes the goats twice as long to finish that project as I thought, then I'm the one who has to do all the extra driving at my own expense. Um, but to me, that's part of my customer service mentality. You know, though, when you think about like if you had to pay people to work in the hot sun for 24 to 48 hours of, you know, working time to do the same job, that really is is very economical. And a lot, and, a lot cuter having a bunch of goats, right? And and a lot of this, a lot of the properties I work on, I'm like, man, you couldn't pay me enough to go at this with a chainsaw. So it, and that's why people are bringing me in. You know, it's because they don't want to deal with that with a chainsaw, um, or they don't want to go walk around with a weed eater and do all that as well. So yeah, it it can often be price comparable, and that's why there are some cities, some companies, some municipalities who are looking at doing this at scale um, because, I mean, I have had like one or two people comment about your goats are taking jobs away from hardworking Americans. No, they're not. Do you really want to go out and do this yourself? <laughs> no, you probably don't. Um, 
but it's you know it, it is much more engaging to the community and it is it, it can be price comparable again that depends on the site if i'm hauling water in and and frankly i won't do certain parks and or public properties in certain areas because the threat of people messing with my animals is too much i have stories um plenty of stories so there's some i won't do because it's not safe but it's it's an effective tool well i think looking towards the future here and towards kind of alternative land management here i think um it's a great, uh, i think we're going to leave on this here what advice uh, do you want to share uh, either with our listeners if they want to maybe transition or do this type of thing as well. So if if people, if, if any of the listeners are interested in starting a company like this, I mean, I'm always happy to talk to you about it. Um, ask questions. Most of the people in my network are more than happy to talk to you about it. Um, but do do your math. It is it is profitable. It does cash flow, but it takes work to figure out exactly where that that sweet spot is. Um, and B, if you're going to do this, you have to be okay with not having a really set routine and schedule. It is hard to do this and dairy goats because if something takes longer than I think it will, or if someone calls me when I'm about to start milking and says the goats are out, then you gotta go deal with that. So it's. It is not a job for the faint of heart, um, the the weak of will, or those who crave routine and predictability, which honestly, frankly, is me. This has taken a lot of adjusting um, because, I mean, they're goats. They, they're lovable and adorable and inquisitive and curious and troublemakers, and they can be jerks. And so sometimes crap happens and you have to deal with it right away. Um, and so if you're not, if you're going to panic and have a hard time with that random call in the middle of the night or middle of the afternoon, um, think hard about doing this. Um, it's also tricky to do solo. I'm one of mm, two people I think I know who are doing this more or less solo and it's, it is exhausting. On the other hand, I've been doing this four seasons and I still don't get tired of seeing the transformation. I love taking before after pictures because what the goats do is so phenomenal and it's so much fun. And to see people, you know, look at what the goats have done and enjoy their property again, it's, it is really, really cool. Um, and it can tie in nicely with, with raising dairy goats in that that's what you do with all your weathers. Now you don't have to worry about, do I send them off to auction? How long do I have to keep them? They just go in your grazing herd. Um, and so you can wait a bit longer and see if that buck turns out nice. And then if he doesn't, you just band them and throw them in the grazing herd. And there you go. Um, it also means I've got, you know, if I get orphans or triplets that I can't, that, you know, my, my grazing does can't handle, I've got a source of milk. I can raise up those kids. So they can tie in nicely, and um, my my working goats do subsidize my freeloading dairy goats. Um, again, I threaten the dairy goats with that now and again. It's people ask me if I milk. People ask me sometimes if I milk the goats that are out on pasture. It's like, oh goodness, no! I'm not going to come out here twice a day and do that. I also don't think it's a great fit for dairy goats. A because of that inconsistent nutrition. Um, and especially lactating dairy goats, it's just not enough calories consistently to to support high milk production. Plus, if you've ever let your goats wander around and eat weeds, and then you notice that funky taste in the milk, there is something in my home pastures that makes the goat milk absolutely rancid. The baby goats won't even drink it. I don't know what it is, but it blooms like twice a year, and it is awful. So it's they're not directly compatible, but... 
you know, the two enterprises can mesh if you if you do it right, or if you have a good husband and good family support. <laughs> well, uh, I Laura, anything else? No, Margaret. I just you know. I'm always amazed at the um, ideas that dairy goat people have to help support their habit. And, you know, we have amazing soap makers. We have amazing cheese makers. We have people who, you know, raise, raise bottle calves and, and all kinds of animals. And I just think that what you do is so unique. And I'm just so thrilled that you were willing to share your um, experiences with us and, and talk about your amazing business. And I'm really glad that you moved out to the Kansas City area because it's been fun to get to know you over the past year. It has. It's been a lot of fun. It took a bit of, um, took a little while, but I have found the coolest community around here. And we didn't even get to talk about 4-H stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a no, lot of fun. I think I'm, we'll have to have you back sometime. I'd love that um, too. Just for our listeners, Margaret has... She has an amazing, just an amazing approach that she takes with 4-Hers in her community. And I think we're going to have to talk about that on another podcast because it's a great model for other people who are looking to help grow dairy goats in their county um, on a 4-H and youth level. So again, Margaret, thank you so much for being part of our podcast this week. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, uh, a little different episode for the listeners, not specifically related to intensely managing your goats, but I think it's fun. I think there's some nuggets of wisdom you can pull out of there as well. If the if not anything else, you learn that premier fencing um, uh, is clearly the best in the marketplace. So um, <laughs> as always, thank you to the listeners like Margaret uh, that listen to us weekly. We appreciate that. Find us on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. If you like us, leave us a review. If not, tell us what we can prove upon. Feedback is a blessing. Always. And again, thank you for being part of our podcast family. And we will see you next week on Goat Gab. Yeah.